If you have your Bibles, we'll go to Mark chapter 15, and we'll read together the first 15 verses. We're getting really close to the end. There's only uh, one more chapter after this, and that'll be Mark finished. All right. You can follow along as I read. This is God's word in Mark chapter 15. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And the chief priest accused them of many things. And Pilate again asked them, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Join me in prayer. Lord, as we come to this dark day in history, Help us to be sober-minded as we reflect on your words. Help us, Lord, and be gracious to us to help us to see clearly what is happening here. And Lord, would you give us wisdom? Would you help us to believe? Would you help our unbelief so that we might trust in Jesus in whom there is no sin and whom has committed no evil? We ask this in his name. Amen. Amen. Uh, As I was thinking about a title for this passage, uh, the title that I thought of was, What Will You Do With the King? And if you look down at verse 12, you might see why I've chosen to call it that. It says, And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? He's asking them, What should I do with with this king? And what I want to ask you this morning is, What will you do with the king? And the reason that that question is important is because it is directly related to another question. And the the question that follows is, what will the king do with you? At judgment day, when everything is finished and your life is required of you, the king will do something with you. And what he does with you is directly related to what you have done with him. And to help us to think about what we will do with the king and what you will do with the king, we can consider what Pilate has done with the king. And then after that, we'll consider what the Jews have done with the king. And we'll start with Pilate. What's really interesting is Pilate in verse two 
asked Jesus this question, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, you have said so. And Jesus is not saying that's what you think. Jesus is not saying maybe. He's not playing a guessing game with Pilate. Jesus is agreeing with the statement that Pilate is making. He's saying, yes, I am. And you've said so. I am the king of the Jews. And so what Pilate has the privilege of is truth about Jesus. Pilate is in this uh, wonderful place where he is having truth revealed to him and even straight from the mouth of Jesus. And so what Pilate has is a wonderful uh, start to his theology. He is grasping things about Jesus that are critically important. Jesus is the king. And Pilate is getting firsthand teaching from Jesus right here. And so Pilate's theology is developing. He's learning things about Jesus. He's picking up some truth about Jesus. And not only that, but he says to Jesus in verse 4, have you no answer to make? He knows that there is no reason for Jesus to be here under trial. He even goes on to say that he knows that he's only on trial because the chief priests are envious of Jesus. He knows this, this whole thing is a sham. He knows that there is no guilt in Jesus. He even says after they say crucify him, why? What wrong has he committed? What evil has he done? He hasn't done anything. And Pilate's theology is developing more and more. He's understanding here that not only is Jesus the king, but he is perfect. And that there is nothing wrong with Jesus. No evil committed. No, no crime that he should be charged death and receive the punishment of a criminal. Pilate is grasping these wonderful, necessary truths that every single person here has to wrestle with and has to, has to grasp as well. You have to grasp that Jesus is the king. That is the gospel in big picture terms. You have to grasp that he was perfect. He's the only one who could be the proper sacrifice for sin. If he wasn't perfect, he would not be a proper sacrifice because he would have to answer for his own sin. He couldn't answer for ours if he was a sinner. And so these are necessary truths that people have to understand as they come to Jesus, that he is the king, he is Lord. And not only that, but he is without blemish, without spot. He is the lamb of God, the, the worthy sacrifice, the one who can atone for sin. And Pilate is getting all of these things hinted at. And so he's got this wonderful knowledge about Jesus so far. And this knowledge actually blooms. It flourishes into some conviction. Pilate is hesitant about handing Jesus over to the chief priests. He even comes up with his idea. Oh, well, usually once a year at this time, I give them a choice between two people and they can have one saved and have one be killed and crucified. And so he comes up with this plan. Maybe Jesus can be rescued. Maybe Jesus can be saved from this mob. If I put before them an obvious criminal, a murderer. And so Pilate has these convictions about Jesus. And they actually develop into him trying to avoid Jesus being killed. He doesn't want anything to do with Jesus being killed. He doesn't want his hands dirtied. In fact, we see him in other gospels washing his hands of this saying, I've got nothing to do with it. So what I want you to understand in the first instance is that Pilate arrives at good conclusions. 
And not only does he arrive at good conclusions about the identity of Jesus and who Jesus is, but he actually develops some convictions. Not only has he got some knowledge, but even some emotion to be coupled with that knowledge so that he doesn't want Jesus to die. He's trying to come up with a clever way so that he can escape any guilt associated with putting Jesus to death. So you can see that this man has arrived at some good conclusions, that he has developed some good convictions. And this is what he's done with Jesus so far. What has he done with Jesus? Well, he's, he's acknowledging who he is. He's understanding a bit about Jesus. He knows a thing or two about him. Not only that, he has some sort of feelings going on on the inside, some convictions, some stirrings of the affections. There is something happening to him on the inside too. It's not that he has some head knowledge that is affecting his heart. But here's what I, I want to press you on, is this idea of faith. Faith requires knowledge. You have to know who Jesus is. You have to know that Jesus is the king. You have to know that he is Lord. You have to know that he is God. You have to know that he is the second person of the Trinity. You have to recognize him in that way. Not only that, you have to know that he is worthy to die for your sins, that he is the sacrifice. He is the lamb without blemish and without spot, without defect. You have to know that to be able to uh, trust in Jesus to be that for you. And if you don't know that, you can't have faith in Jesus in this way. So faith requires knowledge. But not only does faith require knowledge, faith requires conviction. A PhD scholar knows a lot about Jesus. In fact, the chief priests know a lot about Jesus. They know a lot about the promised Messiah. In fact, they're taking him to, to this mock trial because they're saying, hey, you can't say that you're the Messiah. And they're envious of him. So there has to be more than that. There has to be more than just knowledge in the head. It's not enough just to know about Jesus. It's not enough just to arrive at some good conclusions. And I wonder if you've arrived at some good conclusions and that's where you are and that's where you've stayed. If that's you, then you have not gone far enough. Even Pilate has gone further than you and he was the one who handed Jesus over to be crucified. Now you have to go beyond knowledge. You have to move beyond knowledge into conviction. You have to actually know these things about Jesus and then have some conviction so that you actually believe these things about Jesus, that you actually um, ha have some intellectual assent to it. You, you agree with these with your heart. You, you, you're actually stirred up about these truths. And Pilate shows some conviction. He's trying to wriggle his way out of this. But even conviction is not enough. Because as we see, Pilate folded under the pressure of the crowd. Pilate folded under the pressure of being politically correct. Pilate folded under the pressure of, of outside forces on him. And what he did was he acquiesced. What he did was he just crumbled under the pressure. And what, what Pilate shows us is something that is very detrimental. Pilate shows us something that is very sad and tragic. That someone can know something about Jesus and even have some conviction about him, yet not trust in him. Faith requires knowledge and it requires conviction. But if that's all you have, then that is not faith. Faith requires knowledge, conviction, and confidence. 
You can't just know something about Jesus. You can't just feel something about Jesus. You actually have to put your weight on what you're saying and put weight on your convictions. Because what we see here with Pilate, what he has done with Jesus, as he's done that, he's, he's got some knowledge. He's got some conviction. But where he's failed in this journey of faith is that his faith has not been completed with confidence. He has not put his weight onto this truth about Jesus. And we see in the end that Pilate, under the pressure, hands Jesus over to be killed and to be crucified. Now, this is not some this is not something that is uncommon to us in today's world. We see people crumbling all the time. I hear about it all the time through Twitter or, or through whatever social media, but people just apologizing left, right, and center about things that happened 10, 15, 20 years ago because they feel the pressure of the current culture. And people are crumbling under that pressure of being politically correct, if I can use that term, or crumbling under the pressure of social pressures, and they're folding. They're going back on things. They're reverting. They're abandoning any conviction that they had. And what Pilate is doing here is he is betraying his knowledge and his conviction. And I fear that some people may be doing that here today. I fear that you know something about Jesus. And I say to you, that's great that you know something about Jesus. But even the demons know something about Jesus. The demons go beyond even knowing something about Jesus. They have some convictions too. They shudder when they think about who Jesus is. And you may be sitting here and you not only have knowledge and you have some conviction that is coupled with that knowledge. And that is, again, wonderful, but that is not enough. This conviction may lead you to be amazed as you see Pilate is amazed in verse 5 because Jesus is not saying anything that will free him from this crime that he's being punished for. But amazement is not even enough. Feelings and emotions are not enough. Confidence is where you must arrive. Confidence is what you must have for your faith to be a complete faith. Anything less than that, then you are in the same category as Pilate, who hands Jesus over to be crucified. Perhaps that's under family pressure. Maybe you come from a family of non-Christians. Maybe you come from a tradition or a background that doesn't like what you're doing here today. And maybe you fold under that pressure. That's a category that Pilate is in. Maybe you fold under the pressure of your high school friends or, or, or whatever community you're a part of. Maybe you crumble there. If you do, then you are in the category of Pilate. You are handing over Jesus to them. You're saying, here he is. You can have him then. I'll let him go. I know something about him. I even have some feelings about him. But here you go. You can have him. And that is the terrible situation that Pilate is in. And I'm... You know, really concerned that there are people like that all around the world. You know, there is a parable uh, in, in the Gospels about the wheat and the tears. There is a mixed multitude of people who gather as the church. There are people who are truly Christian, and then there are people who look like they're Christian. And I fear that there are people like that all around, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that that is not you, and you're not described as Pilate is described here. Now, that's what Pilate does with Jesus. He, he knows something about him. He's convicted, but he fails to have confidence in Jesus. And that's where he falls short. And what is uh, really disgusting is, is a word to probably describe it, is how the Jews are treating their Messiah, how the Jews are treating this king. 
this one who is without blame, the one who has committed no crime. And you see that they even prefer over Jesus, Barabbas. And he is a known murderer. He is a known criminal. And they are given this option. Should we release Jesus or should we release Barabbas? And they cry, crucify Jesus and release Barabbas. He is a known criminal. But why is it that they would choose him over, over Jesus? Why is it that they would select a known criminal over these false and fluffy charges about Jesus that have no backbone to them? We see the answer <clears throat> that Pilate gives. In verse 10, it says, For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. These chief priests, the, the Pharisees, the Jews, this crowd, this mob that is here crying for the crucifixion of Jesus. Pilate has some insight here. He perceives that it's out of envy that they would have Jesus crucified. And it's out of envy that they would rather have him crucified than have Barabbas crucified. Now, why is that? Well, Barabbas has a lot in common with them. They don't have to be envious of Barabbas. Barabbas is not someone who is trying to be their king or, 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 or forcing them to actually come to a decision about him. Now, this is the old sin. Do you remember the sin in the garden? Do you remember when Adam and Eve were there? And do you remember what they were tempted with? What, what Satan said to them, the devil? He basically said, do you want to be like God? Would you prefer to be God? Then God be God. Would you like to be totally autonomous? Would you like to make all of your decisions by yourself? Do you think that you're wiser than God, the eternal one? Do you think that you're a better fit at being God than he is? This is the old sin. This is every sin. This is, this, this is the essence of sin. Every sin carries this with it, is that we think we are better than God at making this decision, decision. We think that we should be God in this situation. And so these chief priests and Pharisees, they don't like that God has stepped into their world and said, I am the king. They want to be the king. They want to be in control. They want to be in charge. They want to call the shots. They want to be totally free to do whatever they want and have no one to answer to. And so we see their envy here of Jesus, who truly is God, is that they would prefer to be God. They don't want a king who disrupts their life. They prefer to be king over their lives. They prefer to be the ones in control. <clears throat> so we see what these two parties have done with Jesus. And we also see in both of them that there is this forced decision. Pilate has to make a decision about Jesus. The Jews, they have to make a decision about Jesus. Pilate tries to wriggle his way out of a decision about Jesus. But he's confronted with the fact that there is no escape. He has to answer this question, what will you do with Jesus? Pilate can't get away from it. He has to answer it, just like every single person in the world has to answer this question. What will you do with the king? What will you do with Jesus? And he tries his best to wash his hands of this mess. He tries his best to get out of it, but he realizes soon that there is no escaping this question. It must be answered. And he's under this false, uh, this, this false idea 
that many people are under. Many people think, if I just don't have anything to do with Jesus at all, I won't have to think about him or make any decisions about him. But you have made a decision about Jesus by not making a decision about Jesus. What you have done is you said, I'll reject him by not, not putting myself in a place where I have to accept him or reject him. That is just rejecting him anyway. And so there is no escape for any person in the whole world when it comes to this question, what will you do with the king? It must be answered. And so you must answer it. What will you do with the king? This Lord, this God, this blameless lamb of God, what will you do with him? And as I said at the beginning, one of the reasons that this is just incredibly important is because on the last day, when it is time for judgment, the king will do something with you. And the answer to what the king will do with you is related to the answer that you will give about what will you do with the king. And so you must have that clear, and you must have that clear today. You must know what you will do with the king now. And if you know the answer to what you will do with the king now, you know what the king will do with you later. And if you have said to yourself, what will I do with the king? Well, I'll do one more step than Pilate. Not only will I know something about Jesus, not only will I be convicted about who this man is, but I will put my faith and my trust in him. And if that is where you land, if you have gone beyond these first two uh, elements of faith of just barely knowing and, and being convicted, and if you've gone beyond that and you've had confidence in Jesus, then he will be the lamb for you. He will be the worthy lamb and he will be your king forever. He will take your place when it comes to that time of judgment at the end. And that is his blood that will be poured and not yours. But if you do not, if you do not arrive there and you remain in this place of envy towards Jesus and you look at Jesus and you think, get away from me. Why would you want to rule my life? I want to rule my life. Then you will realize what Pilate will realize. See, Pilate doesn't really understand really what is going on. He acknowledges these things about Jesus and he, he arrives at some of these solid statements and truths about Jesus, that Jesus is the king of the Jews. But what Pilate doesn't understand is that Jesus is the king of Pilate. He's the king of everyone. And at the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess without exception. Even the angels, even the demons will be brought to their knees. And you are no exception. And it is best for you that you realize that today. It is best for you that you move beyond just knowing about Jesus or having some feelings about Jesus and trusting in him instead. It is best that you recognize him as king and that you treat him as king. It is best that you be obedient to him and trust in him. There is no escaping this question. Even if you ignore it, you have already made a decision. So friends, I ask you again, what will the king do with you when your time comes? You will know the answer if you know the answer to this question. What will you do with the king? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you, Lord, that you have laid out for us this morning uh, how people have treated Jesus. And Lord, we know that they are 
pictures and even representatives of many in this world who treat Jesus in the same way, who envy him and would prefer to be king and would prefer to be rulers of their own lives and disregard the king of the universe. And Lord, we know that there are many people in this world that know things about Jesus, wonderful truths about Jesus. We know that there are people in this world who are even convicted about some of those truths. But Lord, so many fall short, just like this crowd and just like Pilate. And perhaps there are those in this room who can relate to this. Lord, we ask that you would gift us with faith and that you would help our unbelief. Lord, that you would move us beyond knowledge and conviction and give to us confidence in Jesus Christ, that we would lay our whole weight on him, that we would trust him with every single drop of our sin. Help us, Lord, to recognize him as the king and to treat him as the king and to obey him as the king. And Lord, would you rescue us from ignorance? Would you rescue us from apathy? And would you help us today to know Jesus and to love him? Not just to be amazed, but to be affectionate towards him. And would he be the ruler and the king of our lives? It's in his name that we pray. Amen.